story you are about to hear is true. Attention, all troops. years of my life, I worked in film and television production. I had a great time doing it, and like most people who were in that line of work, I started as a production assistant. Now, production assistant work is not glamorous. You do basically what people just tell you to do, and it's often grunt work. But you do it, and people will see that you're doing a good job, hopefully, and promote you, give you other jobs, and you climb up the chain slowly but surely. And that is exactly what I was trying to do. I had worked on a couple of projects as a PA in various departments, and it was fun, until I had worked my way into a job in the production office. It was still sort of production assistant work, just whatever needed to be done, but I was reporting directly to the line producer and was learning a lot about how films are made from a financial standpoint. Still, when tasks came up, they would often put me out to do other things. This was great for me, because sometimes I got to do jobs I didn't expect to do that I wanted to do, which mainly meant stuff around the set of the film. But occasionally, I had to do other work, and of course, I tried to do it with a smile when possible. One day, I came into work and was told, don't take off my jacket. I'm going to need to go uptown in Manhattan and pick up one of the actors and drive them to set. I said, sure. I checked out a car, went down, and picked up Peter Falk. I knew who Peter Falk was, of course, and I had seen him while I was working on the film, but had never interacted with him. I tried to make it a rule that if I'm not supposed to interact with somebody, I don't. But here I was, picking him up. I just tried to be polite, but I was a little starstruck. After all, he had been on my family's TV sets for decades, and there he was, in the back of this car that I was driving to a set. And I just have to say, he was not at all what I expected him to be. Because I was trying to be quiet and drive him to just where he needed to go, but he wanted to talk. He started asking me questions about where I was from, why I was doing this job, and then just started talking about his experience on this set, about working with these actors. And I was shocked at his candidness. After taking him to the set, I went back to the office, and then I was told I needed to go pick him up, even though other drivers had reported for duty. It turned out that Peter Falk liked me. I don't know if I interpreted this well at the time. I really wanted experience that wasn't about driving people, but Peter Falk was the big star, and I was told, you gotta do what makes them happy, and if all he wanted was for me to drive him to places, that's fine. And so, for the next few weeks, whenever I was needed, I drove Peter Falk around. And it was a delightful experience. We talked talked about history, art, New York City, New Jersey, all sorts of things. And on my last day, I remember he said, you're a good kid. I hope to see you again someday. And I said, I hope so too, Mr. Falk. And I never saw him again. Now, I worked with other celebrities over the years. Some are pretty well known, but I certainly didn't work with anyone who, to me, had such a pedigree in entertainment, who had been so influential. And what really surprised me is just how great of an experience it was. 
it's easy to be a Peter Falk fan. But after this experience, my fandom was supercharged. And anytime I see him in something, I can appreciate the acting, but I also see him as just this nice guy that I drove around for a while. And so on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about what is probably Peter Falk's most famous role, his most enduring and endearing creation. And I will say a creation of his because he had a lot to do with it the television detective Columbo. We'll talk about the people who created this great character, how it made it to the small screen, its run, its moves to other networks, some of the controversies around Peter Falk in the role, its music, its presence off of TV, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. Metagirl's here with a top five list, and we have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Columbo is a television drama that starred Peter Falk as Lieutenant Columbo, a homicide detective with the LAPD. The show would air on NBC as a series of television movies from 1971 to 1978 before moving to ABC. Before we talk about the show Columbo, it's worth talking about the NBC mystery movie because it was the way that Columbo was launched along with some other great legendary shows. That is the NBC mystery movie theme, and it was composed by the great Henry Mancini. Can't see it, but the intro is really fun. It consists of a shadowed figure with a flashlight. When you were going to watch this, you knew you were about to see something really good. The NBC Mystery Movie is an anthology series. It was produced by Universal Pictures, and it ran from 1971 to 1977. And it was a TV wheel featuring a rotating series of mystery episodes in sort of film format, even though they were a series with characters returning. And these mysteries were divided sometimes into two mystery nights, because who doesn't love a good mystery? The NBC Sunday mystery movie and the NBC Wednesday mystery movie. In its first incarnation from 1971, the show rotated three detective dramas that ran on Wednesday nights from 8.30 to 10. That's Eastern Standard Time. This idea idea was a joint programming and creative decision by NBC and Universal Studios Television. This came out in 1966. That's when NBC ordered a dramatic anthology production from Universal that NBC would broadcast in the U.S. But Universal would retain rights to overseas releases of these productions as feature-length films, so NBC couldn't offer them as reruns internationally at the time. The mysteries would dominate a lot of the 1970s and only would start to become less popular as comedies, which were much cheaper to make, started to become more popular and the network said, well, we can create these really expensive drama anthologies, or we could just create more sitcoms. And can you guess which they chose? 
the three original programs of the 1971 and 1972 season of the NBC Mystery Movie were McLeod, starring Dennis Weaver, which was inspired by the 1968 film Coogan's Bluff, which is a Clint Eastwood film. Macmillan and Wife, starring Susan St. James and Rock Hudson as husband and wife crime fighters. And finally, the one that most people are going to know from this list is Columbo, starring Peter Falk as the bumbling, I put that in quotes, Los Angeles homicide detective. While it was part of the NBC mystery movie, it actually got its start years earlier in a made-for-television movie starring Falk called Prescription Murder, which we'll talk about in a little bit. The Wheel or Umbrella series, as it's sometimes known with its rotation, was a great success and was in the top 15 of Nielsen ratings, and Columbo was the big star, nominated for eight Emmy Awards, and would win four of those. This would prompt NBC to move the series to Sunday evening, which was more competitive, for the second season as part of the NBC Sunday Mystery Movie. And at that time, they would add a fourth show to the rotation, Heck Ramsey, starring Richard Boone, which was an Old West show, and that was produced by Jack Webb of Dragnet Madam 12 fame. Now, because it was doing well on Sunday, Wednesday had been great, they decided to keep Wednesdays rolling and create a new Wednesday mystery movie that would rotate as well in the original time period, and it would have three new programs of shows you might have heard of. Banachek, starring George Pappard as Thomas Banachek, who is a freelance insurance investigator. That would last for two seasons. Cool Million, starring James Farentino as a CIA agent turned PI, and Madigan, starring Richard Widmark, playing a role that he established in a 1960s. 68 film. While Cool Million and Madigan wouldn't last, Banachek had a little bit of a run, and they would rotate in some new shows. Faraday and Company, starring Dan Daly. Tenafly, starring James McEachin. And The Snoop Sisters, which I've never seen before, now I want to, just for the name, but also the talent. You have Mildred Natwick and Helen Hayes in it. This midweek show would be cancelled. It couldn't get the ratings of the Sunday version of the show, but the Sunday version would continue with McLeod, Macmillan and Wife, and of course Columbo. Fun fact, another show that I love, Quincy M.E., started as part of these shows as well that they tried to rotate in and would get its own show. Maybe not as popular as Columbo, but pretty well known compared to some of these other shows. Now, the show wouldn't last past the 70s, but in the late 80s, Universal decided to bring the idea back, and they teamed up with ABC to launch the Mystery Wheel with Columbo right back in there. You can't have the mystery movie without Columbo, but two new series joined Columbo, Gideon Oliver with Lou Gossett Jr. and B.L. Stryker with Burt Reynolds. Columbo and B.L. Stryker would make it to season two with two new shows on this ABC version. Christine Cromwell, starring Jacqueline Smith, and a revival of the 1970s crime drama Kojak. This new version of the mystery movie wouldn't last very long, but ABC would keep Columbo in production, bringing out new episodes from time to time all the way until 2003. The ABC mystery movie theme might not have been by Henry Mancini, but it was by somebody very talented, Mike Post. Let's give that a listen. While we wouldn't have Columbo in the way we have him without Peter Falk, we wouldn't have Columbo at all without two writing partners, Levinson and Link. 
Richard Levinson was born in 1934. He passed away in 87. He was a screenwriter and producer who is known for his collaboration with his friend William Link. Born in Philadelphia, PA, Link and Levinson met in 1946 on their first day of junior high. They were both big mystery fans and enjoyed puzzles. They would then go on to start writing scripts together and plays. The two of them would go on to co-create and produce some of the best-known shows on television. Columbo, Mannix, Murder, She Wrote, Ellery Queen, and Scene of the Crime. They would also make some movies together, notably the 1977 film Roller Coaster, which was supposed to be this huge hit, but then Star Wars came along, and The Hindenburg, which was in 1975. They would also write the Broadway show Merlin that featured Doug Henning. I remember finding advertisements for this years later for this Merlin show. There's a musical that's putting the magic back on Broadway. Merlin. It's about magic. It's about wonder. It's about take your breath away. Can't believe your eyes. Don't you love a surprise? See Merlin and put a little magic in your life. Join the crowds who are cheering Doug Henning and Cheetah Rivera in Merlin. Live at the Mark Hellinger Theater. Order tickets now. Call charge at 944-9300. While Levinson would pass away in 1987, Link would continue on working on shows like The Cosby Mysteries. He also released a collection of short stories about Columbo. Sadly, he passed away in 2020, just 12 days after his 87th birthday. They might have worked on a lot of stuff, but their greatest creation would be Columbo. This character, according to them, was partially inspired by Dostoevsky's crime and punishment character Petrovich, as well as Father Brown by G.K. Chesterton. The character would make an appearance years earlier than the Peter Falk version in the 1960 television anthology series, The Chevy Mystery Show, in an episode titled Enough Rope. And this was adapted by Levinson and Link from a short story they had worked on called May I Come In, which had been published in an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Magazine as Dear Corpus Delecti. In it, there was a police lieutenant named Fisher. Peter Falk did not portray this original version of Columbo in Enough Rope. That honor went to Bert Freed. While he might have worn a sort of beat-up suit and smoked a cigar, that's where the similarity between him and Peter Falk's Columbo ended. Although he is still recognizably Columbo, and the plot of that episode is very similar to what you would see in the later and very famous movie Prescription Murder much later. Freed, in that episode of the Chevy Mystery Show, is billed third, but he comes in and is a whirlwind. The character already seems really important, and yet the performance is so much more understated and subtle and maybe seemingly unimportant than what Falk would do with it. You can find a copy of the Chevy Mystery Show, the specific one, online if you search on YouTube. Although availability is mixed, it is worth checking out. They would adapt that TV drama into a stage play, which was called Prescription Murder. And this would be performed at the Curran Theater in San Francisco in 1962 with actor Thomas Mitchell in the role of Columbo. Mitchell was 70 years old at the time, and Joseph Cotton played the murderer and Agnes Moorhead the victim. What a great cast. Unfortunately, Mitchell would pass away while the play was touring out of town. Columbo would be his last role. 
1968, prescription murder would be made into a two-hour television movie on NBC. Levinson and Link had two ideas for who should play the lead role, J. Lee Cobb or Bing Crosby. Cobb was not available to take the role, and Crosby heard about it and thought, eh, that sounds like a lot of effort. I just want to play golf, and he turned it down. The director of the episode, Richard Irving, knew Peter Falk and said, hey, Falk would love to play this role, and he could do a really good job, even though he's kind of younger than what you think the character should be. And so Levinson and Ling thought, why not? Let's give this guy a shot. Peter Michael Falk was born in 1927. He passed away in 2011. He was a film and television actor, best known by far for his role as Columbo, a role for which he would win four Emmy Awards and a Golden Globe Award. But the awards don't stop there. He was nominated twice for an Academy Award and won his first Emmy Award in 1962 for work he did on the Dick Powell Theater. He would be the first actor to be nominated for both an Emmy and an Academy Award in the same year. And he didn't just do it once, he did it twice. He would go on to appear in lots of great films, including It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, Anzio, Murder by Death, great film, The Cheap Detective, The In-Laws, hilarious film, The Princess Bride, and much more. Born in the Bronx in New York City, Falk's right eye, which people like to talk about, was surgically removed when he was three because he had retinoblastoma and he would wear an artificial eye for the rest of his life, which is why he has that squint as a character. Falk got the acting bug pretty early. He appeared in his first acting role at the age of 12 in the Pirates of Penzance in a local school production. He did pretty well. He was a star athlete in school, president of his senior class. Then he would go to Hamilton College in Clinton, New York, and tried to join the Army as World War II was coming to a close, but he was rejected because of his eye. He would join the Merchant Marine and served as a cook. He did that for a year before returning to college. He would go to Hamilton, and then he would go to the University of Wisconsin. He would then transfer to the new school in New York City and earn a bachelor's degree in literature and political science in 51. He would then travel Europe before returning home, just not sure what he wanted to do with his life. He got his master's of public administration at the Maxwell School of Syracuse University in 53, thinking he might train federal workers for the government. But according to Falk, he had no interest in and no aptitude for the work while working in Hartford, Falk joined a community theater, and that was his jump into acting. He would be married twice over the years, first to Alice Mayo, with whom he had two daughters, Catherine and Jackie. He would then get divorced in 76 and remarry in 1977 to Shira Denise. I mention that because Shira Denise guest starred in more episodes of Columbo than any other actress. Are you a fan of the Retros podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out the Retros Patreon? Go to patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the retroist discord, and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support the retroist. The character of Columbo would develop rather quickly, and so would a formula for Columbo episodes, a pattern that almost all episodes of the show, besides a couple of oddballs, follow. The show was never a whodunit like a lot of other detective mysteries. At the start of each telefilm, you would see the murder happen. You would see the murderer there. They would kill whoever they're going to kill. We knew who was responsible. What we, as an audience, were supposed to do was enjoy how Columbo figured it out. This is Columbo versus 
versus the murderer. There were a couple of things about Columbo that everyone would start to know. One, he liked to talk about his wife bringing it up to anyone around. It threw people off. They weren't sure what to make of this guy. Why is he talking about his wife in the middle of a murder investigation? It sort of humanized him. And yet, we would never meet this wife. Although, there's some controversy around that. Columbo also liked to throw people off by asking a lot of questions. And then right when you thought the last question was over, he would have just one more thing to ask. All of these questions would eventually mess the murderer up, play with their mind, throw them off. And some of the best ones started to realize he was up to something and they tried to call him out on it. And even when they did, he still managed to mess with them. As I mentioned, Peter Falk brought a lot to the character. Wardrobe, car, dog, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But he had a reputation, and this reputation allowed the character to be molded into what Falk wanted him to be. And that's why I say while Levinson and Link created the character and fleshed it out, they were given a lot of leeway because Peter Falk would make sure that the way he wanted the character to be perceived, especially when he was in alignment with the writers, got done. He had a reputation for standing his ground. And the producers, Levinson and Link, or whoever would be producing it later, would use that to get what they wanted from the network. He was no shrinking violet, but he believed in what he was doing. He was not a pain for pain's sake. He loved the acting. He loved the character development. And he wanted to make sure that that was held sacred. He would openly say that he knew he was difficult to work with. But on the other hand, he could also be amazing to work with. Falk was about art, and he was an accomplished artist, something I learned about driving him, because he often wanted to be dropped off at a studio where he would go and do drawing. He would actually have his work exhibited and would take classes at the art student leagues in New York for many years. I wonder if that's where I was dropping him off. I just knew I was dropping him off at some building, and he told me, oh, I'm going there to draw. Another legacy of Columbo is a little bit more sad. The family of Peter Falk didn't get along, it seems, especially toward the end of his life, and as his condition worsened as he got older. I believe he started to have dementia. His second wife stopped his first wife from visiting him, according to Falk's daughter, Catherine. They didn't even get notified when he passed away. They had to learn it from the press. So Catherine worked to have a law passed called, colloquially, Peter Falk's Law. And this law, which was passed in New York State, is supposed to protect children from being cut out from serious medical news and end-of-life issues regarding their parents. And it has guidelines for visitation and notice of death. By 2020, more than 15 states have enacted these laws. So not the greatest thing for Falk's name to be attached to, but at the same time, yes, it's making a difference and hopefully making a lot of people's lives better. Before I move on, I just want to talk about Columbo's first name. And the reason I want to do that is because during the show, we never learn Columbo's first name. That was the intent of the creators of the show. They didn't really want you to know his first name. Neither did Peter Falk. That said, some people on the show who were in charge of props, when they were creating Columbo's ID, decided to give him a first name, and that would be Frank, Frank Columbo. But that is not his official name. We do not know what his official name is. What's interesting about this is that there was a book called The Trivia Encyclopedia by Fred L. Worth, and Worth included a copyright trap in the book listing the name of Columbo as Philip Columbo. 
And when Trivial Pursuit, the board game, came out, they might have borrowed a couple of facts from the trivia encyclopedia, including what was Columbo's first name. And they said it was Philip. Worth would launch a multi-million dollar lawsuit against the creators of the game. And the people who owned Trivial Pursuit argued that trivia facts cannot be copyrighted, and they didn't do anything wrong by using the encyclopedia. This would go through multiple courts, and Worth would try to bring it all the way up to the Supreme Court, but all things were denied. And I don't believe the Trivial Pursuit people ever had to pay him anything. I just wanted to say that if you like Peter Falk and Columbo but haven't really watched any of his movies, you might want to check out The In-Laws. It's my favorite Peter Falk movie, even though he's in a lot of good ones. It's directed by Arthur Hiller, and it has him and Alan Arkin in it, and they just play really well together. They would do a remake of this film years later, which is okay, but the original just has such great chemistry between the two main actors. Falk just commands the screen. Really great stuff. And I'm not surprised. I'm sure Falk brought a lot of the intensity he brought to Columbo to this role. If you watch a lot of detective shows, you'll kind of see that they fall into two categories. Some rely more on character, while others are really more about plot. My favorite shows are the ones that rely on the character more than the writing. Things like Magnum P.I. and especially Columbo. While Columbo, the character, was written by a lot of people, all of that stuff was brought together by Falk, and it makes the show so watchable. A little smile he'll give, a little kind of look toward camera almost, and that makes anything, even if the writing borders on the poor, very watchable. So it's hard to find, and there are some exceptions, a bad episode of Columbo. But what are the best episodes of Columbo, you're asking? Here, with the top five, and it's an epic one, is Metagirl with the top five episodes of Columbo. Five. Four, three, two, one. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl, bringing you the top five episodes of the neo-noir detective drama, Columbo. At number five is season four, episode four, Troubled Waters, originally aired on February 9th, 1975. Lieutenant Columbo and the as-ever-unseen Mrs. Columbo set sail on a cruise to Acapulco, a trip she won in a raffle. But the vacation becomes a busman's holiday when our favorite detective finds an unexpected passenger on board. Murder. Hayden Danziger, played by Robert Vaughn, is a fellow traveler who, as a frequent solo sojourner of this specific ship, had an at-sea relationship with the boat's lounge singer. The diva attempts to blackmail Danziger to keep their affair a secret from his wealthy older wife, also on board, who will leave him in ruins if she learns of the infidelity. The singer's extortion scheme ends in her demise at her lover's lethal hands. Danziger's cunning crime involves faking a heart attack and committing the killing while ostensibly in an infirmary bed. He attempts to frame the piano player, played by Dean Stockwell, but Danziger's scheming is thwarted when the ship's captain asks Columbo to investigate. Always on duty, Columbo combats seasickness to crack the case before they reach port and turn the matter over to the local authorities. Number four is season three, episode four, Double Exposure, broadcasted on December 16th, 1973. Dr. Bart Keppel, played by Robert Culp, is a renowned figure in motivational research who faces a predicament when a disgruntled client, Vic Norris, threatens to expose his unethical tactics. Keppel, who secretly framed Norris with a compromising photo, devises a painstaking plan to eliminate his problem. He inserts subliminal images of drinks into a sales film, raises the room temperature, and feeds Norris salty caviar to induce thirst. During the screening, Keppel appears to narrate the script, but relies on a recording, providing him an alibi while he commits the crafty crime. 
Suspecting Keppel's guilt, Columbo methodically maneuvers through a maze of misdirection as he investigates Norris's murder. Meanwhile, Roger, a theater employee, knows about the subliminal cuts and attempts to blackmail Keppel for money. Keppel kills Roger, but Columbo remains resolute. By using a subliminal cut of himself investigating Keppel's office, Columbo tricks Keppel into revealing his guilt. Keppel's own technique exposes him, leading to his ultimate downfall. Number three is season seven, episode one, Try and Catch Me, shown on November 21st, 1977. Elderly Abigail Mitchell, played by Ruth Gordon, is a world-renowned mystery writer. She suspects her nephew-in-law, Edmund, in the dubious demise of her niece, Phyllis, whose death was ruled accidental by the police. Seeking self-styled justice, Abigail tricks Edmund into a false sense of security by making him her sole heir. She then lures him into her large walk-in safe and slams the door shut, leaving him to a slow death by suffocation in pitch blackness. Abigail assumes the police will rule Edmund's death, just another accident, but she didn't count on the astute analysis of Lieutenant Columbo. Despite the semi-plausible theories of the crime offered by the helpful mystery writer, Columbo eventually solves the case by connecting clues left by Edmund in the safe. The most incriminating is the title page of Abigail's latest manuscript, which Edmund altered to read, I was murdered, by Abigail Mitchell. Deathbed testimony concludes Columbo. In the end, Abigail beseeches Columbo for leniency, but he holds firm, placing her in cuffs. Though crestfallen by her capture, she praises Columbo for his skill, noting that if he had been the one to investigate her niece's death, that none of this need ever have happened. At number two is season three, episode two, Any Old Port in a Storm, televised on October 7th, 1973. Celebrated vintner Adrian Carcini, played by Donald Pleasance, has yet another run-in with his half-brother Rick over their shared winemaking business. The battle centers on Rick's announcement that he's selling the land on which the vineyard is situated in order to pay his gambling debts. Desperate to prevent this, Adrian knocks Rick out, drags him to his private wine cellar, ties him up, turns off the cellar's ventilation system, and leaves him to die of suffocation. He then jets off to New York. When Adrian returns home, he finds Rick dead, dresses him in scuba gear, and dumps him in the ocean to create the appearance of an accidental death. Our favorite disheveled detective is called to resolve the riddle. Several suspicious circumstances bother Columbo from the beginning. He conducts various interviews, considers clues, and even develops some expertise in wine. He utilizes this knowledge to set a trap for the killer at a fancy dinner, where in cahoots with the restaurant, Columbo gets Adrian to drink a wine nabbed by the lieutenant from the vintner's own private cellar that has spoiled due to excessive exposure to heat. Columbo makes the point that while Adrian had been in New York, LA had hit 109 degrees. Knowing that Adrian realizes his precious wine collection has gone bad, Columbo lies in wait at the shore where the man will surely go to dump his soured stock. Cassini does not disappoint and is found chucking bottles into the sea. Confronted with Columbo's evidence, Adrian confesses to his brother's murder without remorse. Still, the always compassionate cop feels sorry for the man who has lost everything and treats him to a fine dessert wine before hauling him off to the Huskow. And the number one episode of Columbo is... Season 1, Episode 1, Murder by the Book. 
This episode, the very first in the Columbo series, premiered on September 15, 1971, and was directed by a 24-year-old Steven Spielberg. Ken Franklin, played by Jack Cassidy, and Jim Ferris, played by Martin Milner, are writing partners who collaborated on 15 books in the Mrs. Melville mystery series. However, for the last several years, Jim's been doing all the writing as Ken has struggled with writer's block. Frustrated with doing all the work and only getting half the credit, Jim decides to go solo. Ken does not like this at all and decides on murder. Ken persuades his partner to accompany him on a trip to his lakeside cabin. Upon reaching the cabin, with a stop at Lasanka's grocery store, Kim gets Jim to call his wife Joanna to tell her he'll be working late at the office. Then, Ken shoots Jim dead while he's still on the line with Joanna. Believing her husband was in the office at the time, she unwittingly sets up a perfect alibi for the killer. Ken dumps Jim's body and spins a yarn implicating the Mafia for his writing partner's death. Complicating matters is Lily Lasanka, who runs the grocery store near the cabin where the crime was actually committed. She is the only person who knows that the murder victim was in the vicinity and uses this knowledge in an attempt to blackmail Ken. This does not go well for her in the end. But Ken has a weightier worry than a witness, Lieutenant Columbo. As is his way, the trenchcoat-clad master of deduction feigns ignorance to gain the upper hand as the crafty killer feeds him clues pointing to the true nature of the crime. And there you have it, the Retroist's top five episodes of the classic detective series, Columbo. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. A lot of the great characteristics of Columbo were decisions made by Peter Falk. For example, his wardrobe. The whole thing was provided by Falk. They were his clothes. Of the choice with the raincoat that he had, he said he just felt comfortable in it, and they just stayed. One of my favorite little details is the network kept pushing for them to add a secondary character, like an assistant to Columbo, a young cop maybe. The producers decided, yeah, we'll give him that, and instead they gave Columbo a dog. Falk believed that Columbo had enough gimmicks and he didn't need a dog or a sidekick. But then when he saw this dog, it's a basset hound, he knew it was exactly the type of dog that Columbo would own. And he would make his first appearance in 1972. While the original dog would pass away, they would bring other dogs in to play the role. Falk would joke that they needed to put makeup on a lot of these dogs to make him look older. And so often the dog would be in the makeup trailer longer than he would. The idea of just one more thing becoming Columbo's catchphrase, that was something that Peter Falk just came up with in an ad lib. A scene would be too short, they wanted to add something more to it, and so instead of trying to figure out how to weave it in, you just have them say, oh, just one more thing. It gave them a lot of flexibility in how they would do their questioning, but it also worked. Another great element of the Columbo show was his car. Levinson and Link thought Columbo would have a kind of beat-up car to match his personality. Falk thought, okay, another gimmick, let's let this go. But he went out on the Universal backlot to look at what cars they had, and he just saw the car he thought would be it. And it was a Peugeot 403 convertible. Besides Dog and his wardrobe, this is kind of the closest thing the show had to a supporting cast. And it appeared in a lot of episodes. 
That didn't mean they didn't have any recurring characters. Bruce Kirby would play Sergeant Kramer in several episodes, including a couple in the 90s revival. And Bob Dishy would play Sergeant Wilson in two episodes. While a lot of actors wouldn't play recurring characters, would return to the show. Actors like Jack Cassidy, Robert Culp, George Hamilton, Martin Landau, Tyne Daly, Leslie Nielsen, Patrick McGowan, and of course William Shatner. A character that was mentioned but never seen was Mrs. Columbo. While we've never seen Mrs. Columbo, we do hear about her a lot because he talks about her all the time. They were high school sweethearts. She was a bit of an athlete, great bowler, not a great cook. She handles the finances and the taxes in the family, a good dancer, a good singer, a great reader, loves puzzles. Most importantly, the Columbos seem to love each other a lot. And I think that helps to humanize the Columbo character, not just for the people around him, but for us. In addition to great actors, they also had some great directors and writers on the show. The first season premiere, Murder by the Book, was written by Steven Bochco and was directed by this guy you probably never heard of, Steven Spielberg. But other great directors would also come up. People like Jonathan Demme, Ben Gazzara, Peter Falk would direct an episode, which is something he really pushed to do and then would never do again. Patrick McGowan, the actor, would direct five episodes. He and Peter Falk seemed to get along famously. If you don't know who Stephen Bochco is, Stephen Bochco would work on a lot of Columbo. It was a big deal for him early in his career. He was born in 1943. He passed away in 2018. He was a TV writer and producer, developed a bunch of shows for television, including L.A. Law, Hill Street Blues, Doogie Howser, M.D., and NYPD Blue. He would be the story editor on Columbo, Macmillan and Wife, and many others. A great talent to have. There was also a lot of great music on this show. The mystery theme that I talked about was used a lot in the episodes that ran from 71 to 77, but Columbo itself never had an official theme, even though it had some signature pieces. And so the show was lucky in that it could bring in a lot of different people to work on the show, bringing new music into the show all the time. And some of the names that are associated with the show are pretty well known are Dick DeBenedictus, Billy Goldenberg, Gil Millay, Oliver Nelson, Dave Grusin, Richard Markowitz, and over a half dozen others. Then you have the people who worked on the mystery themes, which include Henry Mancini, Quincy Jones, Hal Mooney, and of course Mike Post. While the show didn't have a theme, it did have a sort of unofficial tune, which was the British children's song, This Old Man, which was introduced in the episode Any Old Port in a Storm, and you can hear Columbo humming it in there, and so they would start using it from that point on. This was just something Falk decided to do, a song he liked to hum, and thought he would bring it to the character. So, again, another major part of the Columbo character brought in by Peter Falk. The show was a big hit when it came out, and it would become the anchor of NBC's Sunday Night. And the show would vary in time. Sometimes an episode would be 90 minutes, but some could be as long as two hours. And this wasn't a creative decision. Almost all of these decisions were made financially because for a two-hour show, a network could sell more ads. And because you have a show that's this popular, that has the ratings, you get pushed to add to it. And that meant sometimes some of these episodes felt padded and would certainly have worked better as 90-minute movies rather than these two-hour episodes. This doesn't mean there's not some great two-hour episodes of Columbo, but for me, some of the best episodes are 90 minutes long. Slowly but surely, the ratings went down, and the show was still pretty expensive to make, so NBC canceled the show in 1978. And then, for 11 years, you would just see Columbo in reruns, and that was enough to sustain most people. And then the show would get picked up by ABC in 1989, and they would make a bunch of new seasons leading up to 2003, when it ended. When you watch it on streaming, it's quite jarring, because you go right 
from the 70s all the way to the late 80s. And it's really fun to see the late 80s Columbo because they don't pretend it's the 70s anymore. It's definitely the late 80s. Columbo's been doing his job the whole time that we've been gone. And that makes me sad because boy would I have loved to have seen Columbo crack some cases from 78 to 89. To see him in 1983 or 1984, to see the trends that were going on, the technology that was developing, and to see Columbo react to that would be some of my favorite episodes, I'm sure. Sadly, we just didn't get to see it. So the show would go into regular production on September 15th, 1971. So what else was on that night? Let's take a look at the TV listings for the area I grew up in. The listings at the time are actually very different than the listings I would become familiar with. There's no grid. Everything is done just sort of laid out in listings of everything that's coming on. At 8 o'clock on CBS, which was Channel 2, you had the Carol Burnett Show with Jim Neighbors as the star. On Channel 4, NBC, you had the season premiere of Adam 12. In it, Officer Malloy and Reed round up a gang of hoodlums. On Channel 5, which was a local station, you had Truth or Consequences. And then on ABC Channel 7, you had the season premiere of Bewitched, where Samantha and Darren travel to Europe. On WOR Channel 9, the Chicago Cubs are taken on the New York Mets, so baseball on TV. And then, interesting, on the public access, PBS, you had the French Chef with Julia Child on Channel 13 at 8. So, pretty good lineup. Adam 12 is a half-hour show, so it was the lead-in for Columbo, Murder by the Book. In it, mystery writer Jack Cassidy plans the perfect crime. What's fun is that in that episode, Malloy from Adam 12, played by Martin Milner, is in the very beginning. He's the person getting murdered at the start of the show. So you get Adam 12 ending, and then there's Martin Milner again in another episode. And like most people, they're pretty high on Columbo in all of their reviews. The reviewer at the time, whose name I can't find listed here, says Columbo dogs a mystery writer who has bumped off his former partner. The show shoots more for character than suspense, so fans witness a contest between murderer and detective. Jack Cassidy excels as the writer talking down to Columbo, and Falk's hero doesn't overdo the humble bit. That was part of the best bets on TV section of the newspaper, which is great. While we're here, we might as well look at the listing for A&P, which is the supermarket that my grandmother often shopped at to see what was on sale. They had beef roasts for just 95 cents a pound, but the meat doesn't stop there. You had picnic pork shoulders, liverwurst, only 59 cents a pound. You had stewing beef, brisket beef, chicken wings, just 39 cents a pound, baby frog legs. I don't know why that surprises me, but they sold frozen baby frog legs for 89 cents a pound. I've never had frog legs in my life. Are baby frog legs better than adult frog legs? I guess they're more tender. Seedless grapes are only 29 cents a pound. Handy Whip, not to be confused with Cool Whip, is 39 cents a pound and only 16 calories per tablespoon. Aunt Millie's spaghetti sauce, 45 cents. Oh, and you have coupons here. They're all for chock full of nuts coffee and total breakfast cereal. You have some pretty good things to buy, but mostly meat. I'm trying to see something I would have wanted my family to buy. I'm sure I would have eaten a lot of this food. But there's no cookies or ice cream here. Fun fact, if you bought rolled gold pretzels, though, this month, you get a free Bic pen in every bag of rolled gold pretzels, which was worth 29 cents. So that was what was going on in my newspaper. While Columbo would end, Falk always expressed interest in returning to the role. In 2007, in an interview said he had a script ready called Columbo, Hear No Evil, which would have been renamed Columbo's Last Case, but ABC declined to make it. The producers tried to find a foreign company, but sadly, at the time, Falk was being diagnosed with dementia, and things went downhill from there, and he would pass away in 2011, and we never got that final episode. Every 13 seconds, a crime is committed. Crimes of passion, 
and power. Can anybody here tell me, did it rain last Tuesday? Can this man help? Columbo, the most underestimated sleuth, is back with Columbo, the collector's edition on video cassette. Your first video is only $4.95 and features the original two-hour series premiere. Emmy award-winning Peter Falk is Columbo, a detective with an M.O. all his own. The Falk's exit. Like something else? What's the matter with me? Uh, one other thing, uh, the angle of the bullet. It's a darn good show, Rafe Cleveland Amory. Columbo, the collector's edition on video, complete and uncut. Apprehend your first classic mystery for only $4.95 with subscription. Find out if Columbo will meet his match. Or if he knows more than he's letting on. To get your first video of Columbo, the collector's edition, for only $4.95 plus $3.59 shipping, have your credit card ready and call 1-800-360-9400. The show was popular, but it took a while for anything to show up on VHS, so you had to record it off TV or catch it in reruns. They would release Murder by the Book, finally, on VHS in 1994. Then it would almost take two decades more, so 2012, before Universal Studios would release all 69 episodes of Columbo on DVD. And they would be released in chronological order, in the same order they were originally broadcast. Around the world, episodes would be released at different rates. Slowly but surely, though, they would all make it out there. Probably the highlight of modern Columbo fans collecting happened a year earlier, when in Japan, they released Columbo on Blu-ray as a 10-season set. These were all from the originals. There are 35 discs in a wooden cigar box. And a lot of people who are big fans had to import this to be able to watch it. But happily, Japan's monopoly on the Blu-ray version of Columbo is about to be broken because in the United States, Kino Lorber is going to release Columbo on Blu-ray. And that should be happening in December of 2023. Now, they announced a bunch of bonus features would come out in this box set, and then, sadly, they announced that the commentary tracks that they had recorded won't be included. So some cool features have been lost, but I still think it'll probably be worth it to own these Blu-rays if you are a fan of Columbo. Columbo has appeared outside of the small screen on the stage. Obviously, there was originally the stage production with Thomas Mitchell. They revived that version of Prescription Murder that toured the United Kingdom in 2010 with Dirk Benedict starring in the role, and he would be replaced by John Garazio. If watching Columbo isn't good enough for you, you can also read Columbo. A series of Columbo books was published by MCA, written by Alfred Lawrence, Lee Hayes, and Henry Clements. The first one was done in 19. 1972 and mostly were adapted from the TV series. They would also use the character as the lead in a series of books by Tor books, all written by William Harrington from 1994 to 1999. And then, as I said, William Link, who was the co-creator of the series, wrote a collection of short stories called the Columbo Collection, which were published in 2010. If you want a book about Columbo, you might want to check out The Columbo File, a casebook by Mark Dewidziak. It's a really great book about Columbo, a must-have for any fan. But there are a lot of other fans still out there writing stuff on Columbo. The Columbo File is a blog and book that you might want to check out and see them online. Just search for Columbo File and their blog comes up. Now you thought I was going to end this without talking about Mrs. Columbo the series. There was a spin-off TV series about Mrs. Columbo featuring future Starfleet Captain Kate Mulgrew in the lead role. And it aired in 1979 and was canceled after just 13 episodes. Now we never saw Mrs. Columbo on the regular Columbo and we do here. And it was controversial because nobody with the original show really wanted this to happen. But it was pushed forward thinking they could make more money off the Columbo character. Now, I'm not going to go into detail 
details with this because I'm probably going to do a follow-up episode on Mrs. Columbo. So look forward to that if you're a fan of the show and a fan of Mrs. Columbo, which I do think is kind of enjoyable to watch. It's not maybe as good as Columbo, but the story about how it happened and its evolution over time, how it really became not a Mrs. Columbo show, is really interesting. The show has been influential on other detective shows. Most recently, there is a show called Poker Face that came out that people were really drawing a lot of attention to and comparing it to Columbo. I watched it, and it's a fun show. Is it just like Columbo? Not really, but it has an offbeat energy, and you could see some of the things they might have borrowed from Columbo in the show. And I do think if you like detective shows, it's worth your time. Columbo itself, though, is special for a lot of reasons. Great writing, acting, but also because it's different from other cop shows. Columbo wasn't meant to be a standard detective. His legacy goes back, not to the TV shows that we were watching in the 50s or the 60s and the 70s, but more to the literary detectives, ones written by people like Agatha Christie. And it's that elevation that makes the character more interesting and has kept people interested in the character of Columbo for all of these years. You might be looking for something to entertain you, and in today's streaming world, you have lots of options. But you might have heard of Columbo, but have never seen it. And you should really ask yourself why. Why had you heard of it? It's because it's very good. And that should be reason enough that you should turn off this podcast, go online, and find an episode to watch. Start off right at the beginning. It starts really strong, this show. And it just keeps going on. That doesn't mean there's not a couple of clunkers. But even the clunkers are interesting. So if you haven't seen it, you're in for a real treat. You have days of television ahead of yourself to watch. And if you do, I'm jealous of you because you only get to watch Columbo for the first time once. But lucky for the rest of us, we can watch it again and again. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at Retroist.com. You can follow me on social media. I'm on most of the major social media networks at Retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top 5 list. If you like what you hear, you should follow Metagirl on Twitter. She's at Metagirl. That's M-A-T-A-G-R-R-L. If you'd like to support the show, you could do so by giving the show a 5-star review wherever you download it. It's really the 5-star reviews that help people find the show, and I really would appreciate it if you could take the time to give me one. If you'd like to support the show further, The Retroist is on Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus scans, and access to the Retroist Discord, the coolest retro community on the internet. Thanks to everyone for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.